Welcome to a new episode of the Philmont Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a Q&A with Italian Studies Director Adam Leone, moderated by David Fear, the senior editor and critic at Rolling Stone. From award-winning filmmaker Adam Leone, Italian Studies is a lyrical film about dislocation, connection, and the elusive nature of identity. While visiting New York City from her native London, writer Alina Reynolds, played by Academy Award nominee Vanessa Kirby, inexplicably loses her memory and suddenly becomes unmoored and adrift in the streets of Manhattan with no sense of time or place or even her own name. As Alina's consciousness swings between imagined conversations, fragments of her own short stories, and the bustling city around her, she finds an anchor in charismatic teenager Simon. Drawn to the lost woman, Simon soon introduces Alina to his free-spirited group of friends, and together they make their way through a disorienting cityscape full of life, beauty, and music. With an evocative score from Nicholas Bertel, Italian Studies also stars Simon Brickner, Annika Walston, Annabelle Hoffman, Maya Hawk, and Fred Hetchinger. Italian Studies is now playing in theaters. This talk was first available to FLC patrons and members who play such a vital role in all we do. If you're interested in supporting FLC by becoming a member and exploring member benefits, visit filmlink.org members for more information. Now, let's go to the talk. So let's kind of start at the beginning here. Like this more or less starts with Vanessa Kirby telling you, hey, look, so I've got a year. I can come to New York. We've been wanting to do something. You know, is now the time to work on this? How does it go from that to what we're seeing on screen? Uh, yeah, so Vanessa and I knew each other for a while. Uh, I was actually on a call with somebody else, and she was there. And, yeah, she said, I can be here... I can be here on July 4th for a little bit, and I can be back in August for a little bit, and I can be here next February for a little bit. And I was like, can you be in London a little bit after that too? <laughs> um, and, uh, and she was like, figure it out. Put me on the streets of New York. Let's do something. And uh, it was, she called me at the right moment in my thinking because uh, I had really just been thinking that day about all the, the projects that I was working on. It was, it was February 2nd. 2018, um, and the nothing I was working on was going to go that year. I, I could tell, mm-hmm. and uh, and so here was this sort of well, could we actually go and make a movie now? And I called my producers right away, and they were they were like, yeah, let's do this. We have we have space, we have time. Um, I knew I had an incredible team of people on who were at the ready. So Nick, Nick Bertel, the composer, uh, Brett Jutkowitz, the cinematographer, and I share an office, and we've been looking to try to work together. We hadn't until this. Um, and uh, and I had worked with all these teenagers, too, So I, that were amazing, and I, I knew I wanted to do something with them. So the immediate, and these great editors that I was working with. So I knew that I had a support system of some sort um, because it's because usually my process is write a script for three years and you know um and and so we had that and then we had this sort of idea that I said very early on to everybody which was we have to make something where this is the right way to make it like it shouldn't be this is a project that you would shoot normally over eight weeks in one location but because of Vanessa's schedule we're doing it this way we should embrace Vanessa's schedule um 
And uh, that led us away from one of our other ideas, which was a movie about Ivanka Trump. Um, <laughs> Wait, seriously? Yeah, yeah. Well, we were just, I mean, we really were like, what do you want to make? And and so I went through the idea drawer. I was talking to Vanessa. I was talking to my producers. We sort of set up a writer's room. And I had had an idea about doing a movie about somebody who ends up in a dissociative state in New York uh, from a few years back, and it was very procedural. And I couldn't ever really crack it. And I sort of thought, well, what if we do this impressionistically? What if we do this from her point of view um, and you never see the husband trying to find her or the police officer or whatever? And um, and it sort of went from there. And, and, uh, and we were kind of just like, we're just going to act like we're going to go and make this movie. And we're going to go to everybody and say, this is going to happen July 4th or not. And, you know, the fireworks, you see it. It happened July 4th. We were there. That was the first day. And... Um, and we kind of, <laughs> it was, it was the very, very quick, uh, from conception to sh shooting. And we knew it was going to be very, very long from shooting through edit. Right. Uh, what sort of discussions were the two of you, you and Miss Kirby having about that performance? Because it really is an incredibly like unique take on being in, having memory loss and being in a disassociative state. <laughs> You know, we had been talking before, before we, and this is sort of what I think really what led us to this, to grabbing onto this idea. We had been having conversations about what it means to be present in, in, and how we interact with our environment and how uh, people can, um, in, not in a judgmental way, but how we can unlock our phones without thinking about it while we're having a conversation and what it, does that affect the conversation or not? You know, it's stupid shit when we were stoned, I'm sure, but, um, and, uh, and so that was the way, and so it was kind of part of a conversation we were having a bit of, and then, um, we, she did a lot of research on memory loss and fugue states, and she talked to a lot of psychiatrists and, and things like that, uh, uh, I was less interested in the details of that, but it was important for her, she needed something to grab onto because she couldn't do a character biography, See, she knows every single thing about Princess Margaret, but the challenge for her here was she can't know. She was like, you have to pick the wardrobe. I don't want any say in the wardrobe because I don't know why I'm wearing these clothes. Um, and so her way in was that research. And really, ultimately, what I think it led to was her realizing that she just needed to try to see the world completely um, fresh and and try to sort of walk around and process what, you know, pick something to process. So you see that exit sign, and we know what that exit sign is. Um, we don't really read exit when we look at that sign, yeah. but to read exit and to think about what that means and why is it that color and how is it lit that way, and sort of just to really focus on different things that move past us in a way that we just allow to move past us. And there were sort of different iterations as you got around to finding this version of Elena, right? Like there was like a more childlike one I've heard and one that was a little bit more aggressive. And Yes. The first three days of shooting were really us walking around the city and following her with the camera. So a lot of the stuff on Canal Street, the uh, a lot of the stuff with her in crowds, the July 4th stuff, that was, there was a few scenes we shot. We shot the deli scene, um, deli scenes, a couple things. But for the most part, it was let's try to find our Elena in this space. Yeah. And, in, and then... Because of the nature of how we shot it, 
we had this advantage of them being able to go into the edit. And, uh, and we had, you know, a month before she came back. And sort of, uh, and so in those three days, we tried different things. We tried, you know, thinking of it as being an alien who's trying to hide that there's anything wrong versus being very childlike and super engaged with every single thing that, that passes. And um, while we were working for those three days, I think we really fell into it. And then when we were looking at the footage, it, it, you know, which we showed to Vanessa, we, uh, we were able to, to sort of lock into, into how Alina navigates. It's kind of amazing in that you, could, you can get part of that film making, like, like a month worth of filmmaking down, see what you have, and then when she comes back, be like, okay, so we think we're going to kind of move more towards the left as opposed to the right, and then just kind of recalibrate everything that's happening. And at, at which point did you start bringing in the teens? Um... Yeah, and that was the conception. I mean, that was like the plan was that we were going to be reassessing and not the story. We always had the story, but um, what point did we bring the teens? The teens we were working with um, for about three months of rehearsal uh, before we were shooting. So while Vanessa was in London doing her own research and prepping for a play that she was in, uh, we were working with the teens. And then in terms of the production process, there was a little bit of that in the first three days, but we really hit that in the second summer stretch, which is when we did the interviews um, and when we did uh, uh, the My Hawk stuff, and uh, yeah. It's an interesting mix of uh, what we'll call professional actors and first-timers that you sort of put together, and then you found Simon in a variety show? How, how, how off am I? How correct am I? No, it's, you're very correct. We did this really stupid but fun variety show uh, uh, in late 2017 where we had this very, very small black box theater called The Tank downtown, uh, midtown. Um, and uh, and it was so goofy. Uh, it's completely different tonally than this, but it involves so many of the same people, um, the producers, and then Simon was a performer, uh, Annabelle, who plays Lucinda, the, the girl who sings the song, was a regular. Um, Ray, who runs into Alina and says, you're Alina Reynolds. The guy who works in the motel. All those people were in this show. And then a lot of the other teenagers, too. Fred Heckinger. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, what started was with Simon was, was so um, fascinating and, and whacked out. And... Uh, uh, we were like, oh, this will be interesting. We'll just throw him at her at the party and like something crazy will happen. And as we continued to work with him, um, we realized that he was, he was on a certain vibration that felt very in tune with this movie. And, um, and, and we really developed, instead of her becoming, uh, that was the biggest story change. It was she finds a group of the kids and we sort of changed it to she just finds Simon and he brings her in. Well, that dynamic is... I mean, incredible. Did you guys pretty much know right away once you started putting the two of them together and sort of letting them get into it that you had something there, that there was something, there was a currency that was happening? No, I think is the right answer to that question. My instinct is to say yes, and then I'm thinking, you have to be honest. Um, we knew that there was something really special with him. We knew that she, she loved these kids. The first stuff that we really did with them one-on-one -on -one, I was worried and uh and I was wrong actually I think I mean <laughs> but um but we 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 I, I didn't know 
I didn't know, um, and I didn't know if it would work. And we actually talked about rethinking it. Um, and then we went and looked at the stales, and we were like, no, 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 no. Uh, because again, the first things that we were shooting with them were was that sort of montage right after the hot dog scene, mm-hmm. and. And so we were like, oh, there only needs to be 20 seconds of this in the movie, and we're going to give ourselves a day to shoot this so we can, like, find a rhythm. And I felt like we hadn't found the rhythm. It ends up that warm world, cold world, like, all of that, a lot of that stuff is in the movie. And uh, I think I just um, wasn't being that, I mean, I think it was being a good director and letting that happen, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't sure. No. You know, I'm sure every- Your dancer, right? I think it was an honest answer. Yeah. That's all we want. We just want honesty, Adam. Yes, yes, just be yes, honest yes. with us. Yes. For once. Somebody just be honest with okay, us. Okay, I'm going to try. I, I promised myself while I was making this movie that I was going to stop trying to give the right answer. And that was the right answer. Well done. Hi, I'm Clinton Crute. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. The Film Comment Letter is a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com to get the letter every week. Support independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. I think uh, I could probably speak for every single person sitting in this audience or anybody who's read an interview with a filmmaker where there's the cliche of somebody being like, well, you know, the city is really another character <laughs> in the film, and you just go, oh, brother, fuck, okay, fine. And yet, uh, you know, as a fan of your, of your movies, I look at something like Gimme the Loot, or this especially, and you really do feel like the sort of fabric of New York is weaving itself into the actual thing. What are the what are the advantages and disadvantages of, of running and gunning it filming in New York? I think there's huge advantages. So I, I mostly I don't really actually see too many of the disadvantages. I always say like ask the producers for that because <laughs> they have to um, I mean there's pe- there's things like the night of the deli scene where she gets in the fight with the guy at the deli. Uh, there was a person who was causing us a lot of problems and we had to get one of our producers to go and get that person drunk and walk away. Um, but uh, my first movie, Give Me the Loot, that I directed, the budget was $60,000. And so there's this thing where it's like, how do we make this feel cinematic? And you have, you can put a camera outside in this city and you get this incredible production design, these incredible extras, this incredible sort of... And so um, I think that the cinema you can get from from the city is so alive, and it's this combination of also for the most part people not caring that you're doing it. Um, we really were working with Vanessa on this moment where we knew she was going to become quite famous, but it hadn't quite happened yet. Oh right. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I love shooting in the city. Um, I think there's just so much energy. And each movie, I think like for this movie, there was the sense of how do we look at the city like we haven't seen it before. So keeping that in mind, um, I am curious. I'm not going to use the I word that rhymes with improvisation ah. uh, because I have a serious dislike when people are like, well, the movie was improvised because nine out of ten times it isn't. Uh, but... I am wondering how much of this movie is reactive because you are filming in a city and what seems to me setting up situations 
I think about, especially with like the bodega scenes and um, the library scene to a certain extent, <laughs> where you feel like you're putting your actors in a situation and then maybe letting the rhythms of what's actually happening out there in that scene, in that moment, help dictate the flow and pace of where things are going to go. But for me, I think that's true. That's a really great way of saying what I think the job is always. And so I think for, you know, the movie I made before this is called Tramps, very scripted. Uh, like we rehearsed with a metronome. Um, you get to the place and the scene doesn't work, that metronome rhythm doesn't work right. Or somebody told a story that morning that's really great. And so you, you have to, I think, be reactive to um, the what your actors are bringing, what the environment around you is bringing, no matter how much dialogue there is. Somebody would, I, I would say, well, we sort of had a script and, and uh, uh, my girlfriend would be like, that's, you, you have a script. It's just, it, there's very little dialogue in the script, but it's very clear, like, you know, and some scenes are very scripted, like the hot dog scene. Um, but, uh, but it is, we knew the story that we were trying to tell and we knew what we were going out there to get uh, always. Sometimes that could be let the city wash over you. We're going to follow you around for two hours because that's part of this story. Um, and sometimes it was, you're going to try to get this guy to get you ramen by having him put the boiling water in um, before you tell him that you don't have money. Um, and sometimes it was like, here's, here's the dialogue. Uh, it depends. But no matter what, when you're there shooting, you only have the time you have. The light's the light. It rains, it rains, mm -hmm. you know, especially in a, with a budget like this. And so... Um, and, and I think that's exciting. Maybe we've got a couple of minutes left if anybody wants to. You, uh, the person in the mask. <laughs> I'm going to make sure everybody heard that question. Did the shooting, did the shooting actually change the script as you were sort of going through this? Our biggest gap was between the summer shoot and the winter shoot. Um, when everybody went and made a bunch of other movies that I wasn't making and all got famous and rich. Um, and... Uh, um, and in that, we really edited everything together, and we decided we might need to add some stuff, which we shot and then didn't put in the movie. So it's a complicated answer because I remember when we were picture locked or close to picture lock on the movie, going back and looking at the script and looking at our like lookbook and our pitch documents and things like that, and being and sort of saying like, "Wow, this is what we made. This really is the story of what we made." Um, but there was. Uh, Simon was brought out more, and um, and there were we added we added a couple encounters that she had uh, that ended up not making the movie, and then we added a couple more stuff of her short story world that uh, ended up not making the movie. Uh, it was a question about the clothes and the decisions made about the the outfits. The where did she get the coat? Question in some way. <laughs> um, the well, we knew we were going to do summer and winter. Um, and early on, we decided we're not going to try to fake one for the other. That just is both impractical and not in keeping with the movie. Um, and so the idea was we knew it was gonna, it's a lot to ask for the audience because there is a sort of... Look, some people watch this movie and they... There may be people in this room who are like, what are you talking about? There's a difference between the seasons in this movie. Like, it d never tracks for them, and I get that. Uh, and some people get very hung up on the seasons change and how the clothes change. We felt she's unmoored from time, 
and she doesn't know what time it is, and we're going to embrace that. And in doing that, we're going to make the clothes um, reference each other so that they feel, so her, her two outfits feel as if they're the winter and summer versions of each other and that they almost could be the same thing. Um, and then we had the kids just in the same thing. Um, for the most part, uh, but we also, there's this huge advantage in making a movie this way, which was um, she doesn't know what's going on. So uh, um, it was like, well, the kids should wear their own clothes, but what if they lose, what if like one of them loses their that shirt? And we were like, it doesn't matter. They'll just wear a different shirt. Like it's it's okay. She doesn't. She's not. Pro she's processing things strangely. She's conflating her stories with real life. With and so um, so that so that was that. The use of sound and the vocal tracks. And... Um, I don't know how to answer that question. I'll just sort of answer. Just say talk Robert Altman. Robert Altman. Just yell that. Robert Altman. I'll, I'll talk about the sound in general. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I appreciate it. I think that that is a feeling that we wanted. Uh, uh, Margaret, you know, they in the director's cut were there. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Equally good answer. Good, thank you. Um, uh, the previous work that I had done, Nick Bertel scored the other movies. That score. That, yeah, is really something. That's a talented young gentleman. Um, and and the sound design on the previous movies that I'd always worked on were, were like make this is make it so we can hear them, you know, as clearly as we can because we're shooting out in the streets and all of this. And for this, Nick and I talked a lot about um, how we were going to instead of move, making a score that was uh, um, uh, cueing the audience or moving the plot along, that it really was about getting inside the character's head and how we could use suites and reoccurring themes to provide some sort of sense of structure um, because it is an unmoored film. It's, it's tough, you know, in, in some ways, as we were, we were talking about. Uh, we don't always take care of you in this movie. And so the, the sound and the music were things that we really talked about, um, creating a rhythm and creating a structure. Um, so both how do we balance that being uh, uh, really impressionistic with it, but also... Um, you know, I don't know. I, I think, remember I said I was going to be honest? I, I think I'm talking bullshit right here. I don't know. I mean, I think you can't <laughs> underestimate the way that sound and what you guys are doing with it yes. plays into both the disassociative state that you're asking us to kind of go on, you know. I mean, we, you feel like you're in a fugue state when you're watching this film. As That's much the as, idea. I think right. there was this combination of how do we make you feel like you're in a fugue state while you're watching the movie, but also we are telling a story and make it feel structured. And we worked a lot, Nick, and this incredible sound uh, editor named Neva Deary, who um, he won an Oscar for Gravity. We were, I was like, Nick, Nick had worked with him before. I was like, Nick, he's not gonna do our movie. Um, but Nick got him to do our movie. And, and, and they worked a lot on um, creating that structure and that fugue state and how those things can talk to each other through sound. I like the comparison of you were eavesdropping on somebody in a diner. I kind of want to go to that diner now. Yeah. And like whatever that diner is and just listen to somebody be like, I don't know what this is. I don't know where I got these shoes. What is <laughs> yeah. this? Are these eggs that are in front of me? Yeah. Let's go. We're all going. Milk and cookies after. Uh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you guys, you guys all for coming so out. Thank you so much for coming Congratulations really on the movie. It. 